Welcome to Patriotic Pulpit. If you're going to try to destroy America, try to destroy this free country, how would you go about doing it? Now, some people might say, well, we would uh, use an atomic bomb or we would bomb the country. But just need to back up for a moment. All the countries or civilizations in the world that have collapsed have not collapsed that way. They've not been taken over. Or maybe just one or two out of the 23 or 24 civilizations that have ever existed have actually simply collapsed by external warfare. Most have collapsed because of internal problems, immorality, weakness. The people have no will to resist. So how would you go about destroying the greatest country that has ever been, America, how would you go about destroying this country? Well, number one, you might open the borders. You would just open the borders wide open. Now, that's exactly what happened, or one of the things that occurred to ancient Rome. Ancient Rome had been, was run over by the Goths, the, Vis- the Visigoths and other tribes from the steppes of Russia and the Germanic tribes that came down, and they just they didn't have any will to resist, and that was a part of the problem. So we would just open the gates. We'd just open the doors and open the borders. That's exactly what we have going on right now. The borders are wide open. And the Democrats are arguing that non-citizens, people from all over the globe, have a right to your money, have a right to, to outvote you and a right to vote and cancel your voting for people that are running for office. That's exactly what's happening. And I am... Just to go off on the side note here, how it can be that we have Republican candidates who are running for office. Nikki Haley just announced herself, and Donald Trump has announced himself, and have not addressed this particular issue. How are we going to be given assurance that we will have integrity in the future elections? Democrats are arguing right now in Congress that all of these illegals have a right to vote, and that's exactly what they're trying to do. That's what ballot harvesting is all about. So, number one, if you're going to destroy our nation, you're going to try to open the borders. And that's exactly what we have done. Number two, here's something else that you might do. George Soros has thought about this a long time. He was involved in bringing down different nations in Europe, having them being overtaken by communism. And so he has installed different individuals in this nation, usually in the district attorneys and uh, the prosecutors in different places and key positions so that you can open the doors of prison. We open the borders and we're going to open the doors of the prisons and we're going to let people out. We're not going to incarcerate them anymore. There is a major de-incarceration movement in America. It is funded by the George Soros's of the world. It is furthered by the academic nutcases that are out there telling us that, well, most people that are in jails or in prison are there because of minor drug-related offenses. We'll talk about that in a moment. It is furthered by the mainstream media who also push the same narrative, and that is open the prison doors and let the prisoners out. What is all this going to be? It's going to be chaotic in America. What is being affected in America is to turn America into a Bosnia-like state where there are so many different nationalities and peoples and languages that it just becomes a Tower of Babel. And there is not a unifying principle any longer. That's how America is going to be and is currently being destroyed unless we can turn it back and do so very quickly. Now, I do want to speak about, and I want us to think about today, 
the decriminalization movement in America. That is, there's a big effort to decriminalize, that is, that is, make felonies, misdemeanors for one thing, turn prisoners out, release them from prison, lower sentences, et cetera, et cetera. And to decriminalize what's taking place in America is absolutely going to be a part of the destruction of our country. Heather McDonald is just a, a fabulous writer and thinker, and she writes for the Manhattan Institute. And she has a book, it's, I think it was published in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, just several years ago, about six years ago. And it is called The War on Cops, How the New Attack on Law and Order Makes Everyone Less Safe. There is a concerted effort to attack law enforcement <clears throat> as well as criminal prosecution in, the, in America. And that's why George Soros has sponsored many different people, whether it be in Los Angeles or in Chicago or Philadelphia, and sponsored individuals who are not willing to incarcerate violent people in America. What is that creating? It's creating chaos in the streets. Now, who are some of these people that are telling the grand lie that, the, and the grand lie being that, well, most people in prison are there for minor drug-related offenses or smoking marijuana or uh, minor cocaine use. Who are these people that are telling that grand lie? Well, number one, this Heather McDonald tells about this, explains it in her book in Chapter 22, which is The Decriminalization Delusion. And it reads this way, July 2015, President Obama paid a press-saturated visit to a federal penitentiary in Oklahoma. The cell blocks that Obama toured had been evacuated in anticipation of his arrival, but after talking to six carefully pre-screened inmates, he drew some conclusions about the path to prison. Quote, these are young people who made mistakes that aren't different than the mistakes I made and the mistakes that a lot of you guys made, he told the waiting reporters when he exited the prison. The New York Times seconded this observation in its front-page coverage of Obama's prison excursion. There is but a fine line between president and prisoner, the paper noted. Anyone who smoked marijuana and tried cocaine, as the president had done in his youth, could end up in a El Reno Federal Correctional Institution, according to the Times. As Heather McDonald tells us, as she comments on this, she said that claim and that conceit is absolutely preposterous. It takes a lot more than marijuana or cocaine use to end up in federal prison, but the truth does not matter. And that's what's the case regarding the decriminalization of going on in America right now. Now, who are some of the others? Well, the Democrats, and unfortunately, some Republicans as well, have joined that decriminalization movement. So this is an article from Fox News, and it appeared just, I guess, uh, just a day or so ago. There are prominent Democrats across, across the country wanting to decriminalize drugs by arguing that harsh drug laws have led to a prison population boom. In 2019, Democrat Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you knew that she would show up in this one, suggested on Twitter that the reality of the U.S. prison system is that nonviolent people stopped with a dime bag. And 
All these people in prison, she goes on to suggest, are there because of nonviolent offenses. President Joe Biden, you know, they've got to follow the tracks of Obama, issued thousands of pardons for marijuana crimes while insisting no one should enter a federal prison solely due to the possession of marijuana. No one should be in local, a local jail or state prison for that reason either. That, that, is a, that is a grand lie, and this counts in his statement. That is to say that people are not in federal prison because simply of marijuana smoking or even cocaine use. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, once again a Democrat, said that in 2018, more people are locked up for low-level offenses on marijuana than for all violent crimes in this country. That is absolutely absurd. But the Democrats keep piping it, taking their cues from Obama, who started this decriminalization efforts. Why, why are they doing that? Well, number one, they, I do want to point out, they know better. They absolutely know better. But why are they doing it? They're doing it in order to drive the prison doors open and to turn out violent offenders over and over again. It's going to lead to a destruction of this country and to have a Gestapo state. That's what this is all about. Zach Smith and Keith Humphreys. Keith Humphreys, by the way, is an American psychologist and Esther Ting Memorial Professor at Stanford University. He told Fox News, he said, it's been a long-time talking point, particularly around cannabis legislation, uh, legalization, rather, to say our prisons are full of pot smokers and nonviolent drug offenders. It's just something that has never been true, certainly for cannabis. You can get a night in a jail still for cannabis, but going to prison is pretty much impossible anymore. Not that it ever was possible. He said that even at the height of the crack cocaine explosion in the 1980s, only about one in five state prisoners were incarcerated for a drug charge of some form. Humphreys explained that violent crime is driving prison populations in the United States as evidenced by the data showing 62.4% of state prisoners are serving sentences for violent crimes. The other 40% includes people who previously committed violent crimes or who pleaded down from violent offenses to a lesser offense. This, ladies and gentlemen, is why there are seemingly people in federal prison who are there because of drug-related crimes or simply smoking marijuana, cocaine use, simply because they've pled down from violent offenses. Smith agreed. That would be Zach Smith, who also worked with Humphreys. He said the people with simple possession charges, especially first-time offenders, probably pled down to those charges from a more serious charge. For instance, a lot of times if someone is potentially facing possession with intent to distribute charges, which carry much higher penalties the prosecutor might plead down to simple possession charges in that case. So most of the time, I suspect that is what is going on. He also echoed the conclusion that prison populations are driven by violent crime and not low-level drug offenders. Not just in recent years, but that is true now. That has been true historically. Between 1960, for example, and 1990, the rate of Violent crime in the United States has surged over 35%. It's the biggest increase in our history. 
And so that's the increase in violent crime. That was the increase in incarceration and the increase in incarceration rates. It's not minor drug offenses or really drug offenses, period. So says Zach Smith. Smith said there were 43 million drug arrests in the United States between 1980 and 2012. That's 43 million. Now, that sounds like a lot, but until you consider that there are were over 445 million total arrests during the same time frame, which he said shows that drug arrests accounted for less than 10% of all arrests over that roughly 32-year period. That runs contrary, ladies and gentlemen, to this narrative that some Republicans have hopped onto by saying, well, the prisons are full of people that are simply there because of minor possession charges, cocaine use, marijuana smoking. Now, I mentioned George Soros. He's a mega donor for all the liberal causes in this country, and he spent billions of dollars pushing for criminal justice reform, backing the progressive prosecutors that Smith's book, and by the way, Zach Smith's writing a book regarding all of this misinformation on this, Soros has often advocated to end mass incarceration through his Open Society Institute and Open Society Foundations. And he contends that minor crimes have filled U.S. jails and prisons to overflowing. Now let's just stop and think. Who then is making the argument? Number one, communist, self-proclaimed communist, George Soros, who is funding the de-incarceration movement in America, is, is funneling money to all these different organizations, uh, the different organizations, and is promoting the grand lie that people are in prison, which is really less than 5%, people in federal prison because of minor drug-related charges. That is picked up by the AOCs of the world, Barack Obama, whom George Soros wanted to sponsor. Barack Obama said the same thing. Joe Biden, the Democrat Party, and all of it is about one thing, opening prison doors and letting violent criminals out. That's what's going on in America. That's how you bring America down. Now, when we come back, we'll talk about some things pertaining to crime and what are some of the causes of it, what are some of the socialistic answers to the causes, and what does the Bible actually say about this? We'll be back in just a moment. And before we turn attention to criminal justice the biblical perspective on it, which is the true perspective versus socialism. I do want to make mention of a couple of items that was also found in this Fox News article. It's just, it, one of them is just so outlandish. It's so, so silly uh, that the liberal argument that is made, and this is Humphreys. Uh, you remember we are talking about uh, Keith Humphreys, American psychologist at, at Stanford University. And Humphreys uh, took issue with an argument from activists who claim that violence is driven by the fact that drugs are illegal and violent crime would go down if drugs were legalized. Now, when I read that, I thought, this sounds like an elementary school argument. I mean, I heard the same thing, and it had never has been true. It is, it is so surface level. It is so silly. It doesn't hold any weight whatsoever. It's like, you know, uh, back in the elementary schools saying, well, the reason that kids want to chew gum is because it's against the rules. And so if we make it a rule that they can chew gum, they'll quit chewing gum. 
how how juvenile can you get? And I've heard the same thing regarding alcohol. Well, the reason that people drink alcohol is because it's against the law. That was during prohibition years. Well, that's what they said. That's how they argued. Well, because because alcohol is against the law, that's why they want to drink it. So they legalized it, and then what happened? Well, alcoholism is a huge, huge problem in America, and it continues to grow, and it's connected with other drug problems at this point. It's destroying lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys people. It destroys communities. It's absolutely incredible. And we, ha- and we have the same kind of lie going on in the streets of San Francisco and the streets uh, in Chicago O'Hare Airport. You know, they say, well, if you, if you go ahead and, and give them uh, the drugs, like in San Francisco, they have little markets. They give them the drugs and give them the needles, and uh, this, will, this will help this problem. Well, what is, what is it? Well, you don't even want to go there anymore because the streets are littered with these kind of people. It's, it's absolutely stunning that people would make that argument. But they do argue that. That's the way liberals would do. They just cannot think clearly. Well, here's how Humphreys answers it. He said, the problem with that reasoning is that the number one drug involved in violence in the United States by big margin, by a big margin is alcohol, which is, of course, legal. So it doesn't follow at all from this data that this just proves their point all along. No, it doesn't really prove the point at all. Well, there's much more to be noticed on that article, but that kind of teased us up for some of the discussion I want us to think about regarding criminal justice. Now, we'll come back in a few moments. We'll talk about it. But before we go to break, I do want to make mention of the fact that we are now on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify. Patriotic Pulpit is the name of the show. Patriotic Pulpit on Spotify. That's an app that you can uh, you can subscribe to or get on your phone, purchase on your phone. It's also on Amazon Music. We also have uh, YouTube's up uh, little shorts that are done when I, uh, material that I have on the radio here. You can also find my material on the News Talk 1290 website. And that website, of course, has uh, articles I write, and they're posted there on that website. So you can go there to find my written articles. You can also find me on iowaparkcoc.org. That's Iowa Park. That stands for Church of Christ, iowaparkcoc.org. And you can hear me preach uh, online. Uh, there are my, my sermons are posted there as long as YouTube keeps me up. And uh, so the sermons are there, articles that I write uh, for the church bulletin or whatever it may be, other materials you can find on the iowaparkcoc.org website. So that's how you can find all of this material. So when we come back, we'll talk about criminal justice and what does the Bible teach about criminal justice and how what we are seeing, that is the different arguments that are made to release people from prison uh, in order to uh, reduce their prison sentences, uh, to reduce the criminality from felonies to misdemeanors and all that kind of thing, how all of that really comes out of a, a Marxist worldview. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. We'll be right back. Let's think about criminal justice. And I want to compare two worldviews. One of, is that which is Christianity, which the, the Bible, what the Bible teaches, and what our Lord Jesus Christ taught regarding criminal justice. And we're thinking about two different areas. Number one, the causes of sin and crime. And number two, uh, what is the purpose of criminal justice? So we're looking at it from number one, the biblical worldview, which is the only true worldview. 
And then we'll look at it from a Marxist worldview. We'll talk about why that's false and, and what comes out of the Marxist worldview, which is what we're seeing taking place right here in America. So let's think about the biblical worldview pertaining to, number one, the causes of sin and crime. And we'll compare that to Marxism. Our Lord taught very plainly and boldly, and this is in the Old Testament as well as the New, that sin and crime actually spring from the heart of an individual. For example, in Mark chapter 7, now the discussion is here, the Jews have the idea pertaining to um, eating and drinking and all of the different uh, laws of minutia that they laid upon all the people, washing hands before they ate bread. You know, so it's all the tradition of the elders. It wasn't according to the Old Testament law, but they laid upon the people all these different traditional laws that they must wash their hands this way. And here's how to do it. They even explained in the Talmud how to wash your hands, how to hold your fingers when you pour the water over them and all that kind of thing. And that was according to them. That's how you have clean hands. And that's the way that you approach God, only doing all these ritualistic washings. Our Lord answered that, and he tells the people, this is in Mark 7 now, and we're coming down to about verse 15 or so. He said, listen, hear me all of you and understand, there's nothing from without that entering into the man can defile him. But that which proceeds from within the man, that is from within to the without, proceeds from within the man, that defiles the man. Those are the things that defile the man. So there's nothing from without coming into the man that defiles him. Now, that was a short little parable. The disciples came to our Lord later after he was alone in the house, we're told in the next few verses. They said, they asked him about this parable. He said, are you so without understanding also? Perceive ye not that that which is without entering into the man, it cannot defile him because it goes not into his heart, but into his belly and out into the drought. And then he said, Mark tells us, this he said, making all meats clean. There's no unclean meats. That's not the way it is in Christianity. But that which proceeds from within, that defiles the man. And then he goes on to explain that coming from within, from the heart of man, that defiles the man, for out of the heart, evil thoughts proceed, fornications, thefts, adulteries, and so forth. And he goes through a a long litany of crimes that people commit or sins, they're not necessarily criminal offenses, sins that people commit, and they begin in the heart. Now, that's the biblical explanation of how and what are the causes of crime lodged in the heart. Now, let's turn attention to Marxism for a moment. Karl Marx tells us, and all of the followers of Marxism tell us, that all crime and all sin and all Of course, they wouldn't count sin as sin, but all crimes, all transgressions of whatever nature they may be, all originate because of the class in which you were born. And neo-Marxism tells us all because you're white or you're black, and if you're white, you have it lodged in your DNA, and that's the way you think, and that's because that's the way you are. And so that's Marxism. Now, Marxism tells us there's it's only materialistic causes. That is all that there is to it, only materialism. That's what your college professor tells you, materialistic causes. that It doesn't have anything to do with concepts that are lodged in the heart because those are ideas that don't exist to Marxism. It's all material causes, economic causes, Karl Marx says, or racial causes. That's what neo-Marxism tells us. Well, what's wrong with that? 
What's wrong with it, of course, is that it's not true. If, if, if that were the case, if that were the case, one would never be able to discover it because there's only materialistic causes. They would not be able, you would not be able to discover that. You would not be able to cross-examine anything else. But the point is simply this. If that is the case, then what we're going to have to do is, well, people commit crime according to this Marxist worldview because of poverty. And since they're poor, what we need to do is we need to give them more money. That's redistribute the monies. And people commit violence and violent crimes because they're in poverty. And that's why they steal. That's why theft takes place. The same thing regarding neo-Marxism. Or the same thing regarding, they might say, regarding slavery. People that are in slavery, they commit violent crimes because, after all, their situation in life, these external circumstances. So all crime is caused by external circumstances. So if that's the case, then what are we going to have to do to remedy the problem? We're going to have to lessen the criminal liability of those individuals and give them a better station in life. That's exactly what's taking place in America. Releasing people from prison and lessening their charges from, from felonies to misdemeanors is all about a Marxist worldview to give them more opportunities and give them this and give them rehabilitation and all of that in order that we might have a better society. Now, that's their viewpoint. But the truth of the matter is those rehabilitation programs don't work at all. It doesn't work. That that doesn't solve the problem because it's a false view of the world. Marxism is a false view of the world. No problems are not solved by changing someone's economic status. Problems are not solved and crime is not remedied by giving a person a promotion and putting a minority over a white person or a white person over a minority simply because of the class that they're in. No, that doesn't solve the problem. The problem is not solved by admitting minority students into graduate programs over white students because, after all, they've been deprived of these stations in life in the past. No, that isn't caused. That, that's not it at all. No, that misses it entirely. And all of that is exactly what's taking place in America. But what was the root of it? The root of it is Marxism. That's exactly what's taking place. So let me just turn to attention to purpose of criminal justice for a moment. What is the purpose of criminal justice? We've kind of touched upon it there. According to God's word, the Bible, criminal justice is about honoring God and honoring man. And the punishment of the individual is about honoring God and honoring man. It's also about not only punishing the individual, but protecting society. So let's talk about each of these very quickly. Punishment, punishment is necessary to honor God. You know, God tells us very plainly. For example, in Genesis 9 and 6, that man was made in the image of God. Therefore, those who commit murder have affronted God and his majesty and his holiness must be upheld. And so the death sentence was given because God's name must be upheld and God's honor must be recognized. So exactly regarding man, man must be honored because he's made in the image of God. Incidentally, what what value has man according to the Marxist worldview? 
no more than an animal, no more than a plant, no more than a bug that you might step on you with your foot, no more than a cockroach. It's exactly right. That's because all it, all it, all you are is matter in motion, according to Marxism. So punishment is necessary, number one, in order to uphold God's honor. Number two, it is necessary to protect society at large and individuals in particular. There are many passages in the Bible that teach us very plainly that punishment is to be done in order to protect society. Now, for example, Romans 13, verses 3 and 4. He, that is the government, government bears not the sword in vain. But <clears throat> let me just turn attention to Marxism, for example. What is Marxism all about? Well, they think that prisons <clears throat> and jails are about rehabilitation, changing, people's, uh, changing people up, rehabilitating the person. They miss the point of what the purpose of incarceration is, or the purpose of even the death sentence is, the purpose is to protect society and other individuals. That's exactly what Marxists don't want. They're all about rehabilitation. I'm not denying, and the Bible does not deny, that some people can be rehabilitated and certain minor offenses, but the death sentence was given by God in the Old Testament for over 20 different crimes, including murder, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, and others. Death sentence. Why? Protection of society, protection of individuals, because individuals are influenced by people who commit those crimes. So that's the reason that the death sentence is given. Excuse me. What's going on in our society today? Well, they're all about rehabilitation, giving them second and third and fourth chances, turning prisoners loose, And they say it is, of course, about rehabilitation, but in the end, you know very well what it's about. It's about creating chaos in this nation, opening the borders and opening the prison doors. We'll be back in a moment. And we're talking about criminal justice in this particular program. And we've talked about it before in many programs gone by regarding juvenile detention, juvenile detention alternative initiative, and the movement by liberalism to change up the prison population or the, or the juvenile detention population and, and make it more racially conforming, uh, conforming to what we have in society. And, but, but basically that means, of course, turning many minorities out. Well, the same thing is going on regarding <clears throat> the prison population as well. And Heather McDonald, back to her book, The War on Cops, if you didn't catch the first part of the program, she explains uh, quite a bit about this, and she answers it so cogently, so so successfully, and it's just uh, hard to believe that anybody can read this kind of material and think, well, I don't, I don't believe it. So, he just uh, this is from her book, and this is uh, page two sixteen. Now she's talking about the myth that the criminal justice system is meeting out sentences disproportionately to blacks because of the bias by police, prosecutors, and judges. Now, that's the myth that she's answering. So she points out, the bottom line is that too many places, this is what President Obama, she's quoting him here, who spoke to the NAACP, and he promoted that myth, and here's how he put it. The bottom line is that 
In too many places, black boys and black men, Latino boys and Latino men experience being treated differently under the law. That's what he said to, to a conference in July 2015 at the NAACP. Echoing a claim that he has made frequently, we have already seen him deploy that line uh, in many different settings regarding the Baltimore riots, regarding the Ferguson, uh, Ferguson riots and what took place in Ferguson, Missouri uh, shortly thereafter. Incarceration, he said, disproportionately impacts communities of color. <clears throat> he goes on to say that African-Americans and Latinos make up 30% of our population, but they make up 60% of our inmates. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, naturally, Obama did not say anything about the crime rates in communities of color. And he did not mention the fact that it's not simply marijuana smoking that landed a higher percentage of blacks in prison. But it is the fact that he refused to mention that it is disproportionate rates of violent and property crime. And that myth and the ignorance of the facts is also promoted and continued to be repeated today by the Democratic Party and Joe Biden administration. Nevertheless, the racial disparity in incarceration rates has shrunk by nearly a quarter since 2000. With the black incarceration rate down 22%, the white incarceration up 4%. A 2011 study in California, or of California and of New York, the arrest data, led by Daryl Steffensmeyer, a criminologist at Pennsylvania State University, found that blacks commit homicide, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> blacks commit homicide at 11 times the rate of whites robbery at 12 times the rate of whites. Such disparities are repeated in city-level data. In the 75 largest county jurisdictions in 2009, blacks were 62% of robbery defendants, 61% of weapons offenders, 57% of murder defendants, and 50% of forgery cases, even though blacks are less than 13% of the national population. Now get that carefully. This is these are the statistics that Barack Obama back then and Joe Biden today and the Democratic Party today absolutely teetotally ignore. Blacks dominated the drug trafficking cases more than possession cases. Blacks made up 53% of all state trafficking defendants in 2009. Whites made up 22% Hispanics, 23%. Whereas in possession prosecutions, blacks were 39% of defendants, whites, 34%, and Hispanics, 26%, in spite of the fact that blacks make up only 13% of the population. Now, what's, what is the fact then? What is the, what is the conclusion of these factual matters? Repeated efforts, writes Heather McDonald, by criminologists to find a racial smoking gun in the criminal justice system have come up short. If the prison population were not a reminder of that reality, that the political and academic establishment would rather cover up the black crime rate, it is unlikely that the de-incarceration movement would have generated the same momentum. In other words, all of these programs that they're basing all of their work on, all of the social programs that they try to tout, they're not working. It does not 
It is not, they do not work. How about those social programs, for example? They say the social programs work better than incarceration. Some de-incarceration advocates argue that if we'll just have more social programs for criminals, that will significantly reduce the risks of letting offenders out early or not confining them in the first place. They tout what they call evidence-based practices, EBP, evidence-based practices, meaning social services, therapeutic programs delivered to the at-risk population. And they say, well, this is all scientifically based, which it absolutely is not. The problem is, McDonald points out, the EBP, the, the, the problem with the EBP movement is that there's not much E for the P. As one researcher, Joan Pedrocelia, Stanford law professor, stated, few programs have been shown to work. And if a program produces an effect in its initial iteration, that result may not be replicable, especially at a larger scale. None of the six programs, now get this, None of the six programs evaluated by the Justice Department for prisoner reentry was rated as effective. None were rated as effective. All of this coming out of a basic Marxist worldview. <clears throat> but let's talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, the basic problem that we have here. I want you to think about the home. What do we have regarding the home, and I'm speaking about fatherless homes and children born out of wedlock. Do you know what the the rates are, the percentages in the different populations? And these are round figures. In the black population, fatherless homes are approximately 75%. Three out of four black children are born without a father in the home. In the Hispanic community, the rate is about 50%. That is one half of all Hispanic children are born into the home, Hispanic home, without a father in the home. In the white community, it is less. It is 33%. One third. That's still way too high. Now you think about that for just a moment. 75% of black children are born without a father in the home. I wonder if that has anything to do with the misbehavior that they demonstrate, that black children demonstrate in schools and on the streets that land them in prison. Well, you know that it does. You know that it does. This is exactly what our social programmers don't want to confess, they don't want to look at. The chief problem is a lack of godly fathers in the home. Here's some more statistics for you regarding children that are born out of wedlock. Do you realize that the percentages are approximately the same? In the black community, children that are born out of wedlock, approximately 75, almost 80%. In the Hispanic community, approximately one-half of the children are born out of wedlock. And then in the white community, about a third. Now that tells you, once again, the problem. Unmarried women having children, fatherless homes, 
no guidance from a man, a godly man that will give them loving guidance and loving discipline in the home. This is the problem. And our society is refusing to face the problem. We're not looking at it. We're not looking at it square in the eye. We're ignoring it. But what has caused this problem? Let's go back a step further. What has been the cause of this problem? What, what is fomenting all of these fatherless homes? I'll tell you what it is. It is the unconstitutional welfare state. It, these problems did not exist, not to this extent, prior to FDR's program of the welfare state. What has happened is the government has become the daddy in the home by providing money to Unwed mothers providing money to fatherless homes, the welfare state. And the government has thereby exacerbated these problems, excuse me, has caused them to skyrocket. And the welfare state, which our founding fathers made absolutely, just clearly as they could possibly say it, unconstitutional. You can't take money from one person and give to another. You can't take money from one population and give it to another. You can't do that. It's unconstitutional. It's immoral besides. And that's what they said. But the New Deal changed all of that. The welfare state has become the cause of fatherless homes, which in turn has become the cause of crime rates in America and the skyrocketing violent crimes as well as the increasing minority population that are incarcerated. We need to be careful on this decriminalization movement. It's all about destroying this country, opening the borders and opening the prison doors. 